Well, before we start, my name is Corey, aka Mo slash Mo Baby, coming from our brothers over there. And before you ask how tall I am, I am 6'6", and yes, I do play basketball. <laughs> and uh, if you really want to get under my skin and ask, oh, how the weather, how is the weather up there? It's amazing. It's muy bien, okay? <laughs> Hopefully one day y'all can try it. <clears throat> but this testimony is about how God just never stopped pursuing me. I didn't really grow up inside a Christian home. My mom was a Christian and my dad was an atheist. My mom would force me to go to church. Hold on. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> my mom would force me to go to church. And, um, but that, that Christian life for her, it just started to like fade away to the point of she just stopped going. And she asked me if I wanted to continue going to church. Obviously, I didn't want to. I didn't think it was cool, so I said no. I just stopped going. I said it just wasn't cool to me or my friends, the crowd I was hanging with. A few years passed, and I'm in uh, middle school, and I met someone named Michael Clark. That's my little brother. And uh, he tried to bring God into my life. And I just wasn't going for it. I didn't really want to. But he almost had me. He was like this close to just making me just start trying for God. But then my baby brother had passed away. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> my baby brother had passed away. And when that happened, I was just like, Heggs, no, I'm not going to put my faith in them nor trust them or believe in them. Because my baby brother didn't do nothing to die. So some more years go on, and I won't keep doing that because i got to make sure I do it in time. Um, some years go on, and I start falling into drugs, falling into gang-related stuff, and um, fights, physical altercations, I'm going to just say. And through that time, uh, I met somebody. And I met someone who I love most. And it's my girlfriend, Jaleesia, right there in the white, a.k.a. Mini Mia. Oh, don't fake it. Uh, <laughs> she was bringing God to me, telling me how good he is. And I'm talking about we'll FaceTime, and she would just go off for two hours just saying God everything. Like It was just every, any, anything we talked about just had God in it. So I slowly was starting to change, started to change my life around the more she just started talking about God. But my parents wasn't really on board with it. They started saying, oh, you're only doing it for her, or if you're a Christian, you're the most rudest Christian ever. And then they even asked the question, are you even a Christian to begin with? Now, I admit, I definitely was not the best child, okay? But there was no way the things that my mom and my dad was saying was true about me. And after the constant days of what seemed to be a fight to me, there was this big, this big fight. This, uh, there was just a day where I got into a physical altercation with my stepdad and my mom. And from that point, I just was like, you know what? I can't do it anymore. I'm going to move out. And I, be, I started to go back into... Wow, time is going really slow. All right, let me slow down a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and um, I just started to 
fall back into my old ways, starting to fall back into the drugs and the gangs and all that other fun stuff. Now, like I said in the beginning, this is about how God started pursuing me, how he was pursuing me and all these things. And i just like to let you know that if you zoom in just a little bit, it was three times he reached his hand out to me, and I just was like, no, I'm not going for it. So discipleship, a few years ago on some more, and uh, discipleship rolled around. And I was kind of iffy about it. I didn't really want to do it, but at the same time, I did. And uh, I ended up joining. It was amazing. And uh, I went in, though, and I was very, very close-minded. I was... I had a lot of walls built up, and I definitely wasn't giving the friendliest vibe. I definitely was, like, more towards the intimidation and just being this scary guy, and I definitely didn't say anything to anybody. And through time, though, through discipleship, it's like the class just started to renew me. It started to renew me into a sense of, like, the man of God I am today. And obviously I'm not perfect, but I'm more closer to God than I ever was in my 19 years of living. They show me how to be vulnerable and how to be what the Bible, like, how to be what the Bible say a man is and how to allow Jesus to just be there for you and allow, allow, to just, allow Jesus to just allow yourself to trust in him. And it wasn't easy because the devil was willing to do anything, and I mean anything, to keep me from reaching that. I mean, I lost some people to the streets while I was in, to, while I was in discipleship. I lost two people to the streets. I lost some of my family members. Some people left me for just following Jesus. Some people even mocked me, which is really crazy. Um, and then he also started to try to make me go back to drugs. And start doing some gang stuff. I'm just saying gang stuff, gang-related things. And saying the only way to be a man is if you are intimidating. If people are scared of you, if you fight people, and if you're strong. So what is a man? Because obviously that is a lie. A man is vulnerable. A man is honest. And a man is somebody who allows himself allows his emotions to show. And it's okay to cry. And it's okay to be you. See, the thing is, is that this way of myself being a man is I wasn't being who I actually was in the in, who I actually was on the inside. I was just being this whole different person. And I always tell people, Jesus was weeping. When I, once I learned this, I was always telling people that Jesus was weeping. This man was crying his heart out. And look how much of a man he is. The last thing I'll say yes. is, keep <laughs> is keep pushing for God. And I promise he will do something for you that will be bigger than your dreams. And it's going to get hard. The devil's going to lay spikes and lay bombs and throw fireballs and all that fun stuff he likes to do. But one way I think about it is the reason he's doing that is because he knows that God has something for you. And he doesn't want you to reach it. So he's going to, do, he's going to work overtime to stop you from reaching it. And that's, that's, what, that's how I think about it. 
And so whenever I start thinking like that and I realize that, I just be like, all right, bet. There's something that God has for me. And I'm going to just keep pushing. And so for y'all, I'm going to say keep pushing no matter what. Even when it gets hard and it feels like God isn't there, I'm, believe it. God is right next to you. He's right there carrying you, actually, even at your lowest. Just don't give up. Keep pushing. I promise that God is going to do something for you. He's going to have your back. All right. Now, I just want to leave off with a quick prayer. If y'all can bow your heads and close your eyes. I mean, you don't have to close your eyes, but. I just thank you, Lord, for um, everything you've just been doing for us, for the community we have. And I just ask that you just protect us from the devil, that you allow us to just grow stronger and that we just focus more on you and that we just grow with you and that you let us know that we have the authority to overcome the devil, that we have the authority to overcome any obstacle that the devil is throwing at us, any trial, because we are strong. We are strong in you, and we put our faith into you. So I just ask that you just remind us that any time it gets hard, you remind us that you're there, and um, that we just always follow you, walk this path with you, Lord, and just grow with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, now everybody give it up for Paige Van Kloppenberg. Say that three times fast. Well, hello, everybody. Allow me to just open my computer real quick. <laughs> well, hi, everyone. Like uh, Kimmy said, my name is Paige Van Kloppenberg, and I come from all the way over in Holland. Do we have any Holland Zealand people? Hi guys, so proud that you made it. I mean, not only did we have a packed graduation, you made it through traffic, so props to you for coming. Y'all doing great. So, tonight I am going to be sharing a little bit of my testimony and how God changed not only my life, but he also just changed me in general when I found my identity in him. So growing up, I didn't have the greatest relationship with my mom. Uh, and to this day, I'm actively working on repairing that. What happened was, growing up, she had a lot of health issues. And that looked like her being bedridden a lot. And like the things that need to get done around the house, like the chores and grocery shopping and all of the normal things, like playing with your kids, she just wasn't able to do because of her sickness. And so in a lot of ways, she just wasn't able to be the parent that she really, really wanted to be. And because of this broken relationship that I had with her and the way that everyone in my household dealt with her illness, there were times growing up where I felt overlooked. An example of this that may be small, but it impacted me, was the rule of thumb in my household was about every meal, one of us kids would get the opportunity to pray. And I remember trying so hard to get my parents to let me pray. I wanted to pray. I wanted to pray over the food. And every time, my sibling was chosen. Over and over and over. And I felt like 
she got picked more than me, whether it was actually true or not, the lie was planted in my head from this experience and others that I was not worth taking the time to notice. I believed I was not worth people's time, but more importantly, I didn't believe I was worth any of God's time. So I chose not to pursue a personal relationship with him, to save myself from the pain of being rejected from him. How could I possibly recover from being overlooked by my creator? In my mind, I could handle people rejecting me. I could prove to them why I should be in their lives. I could do all the things. But if my creator did that to me, if he saw me that way, there was no way I'd be able to come back from that. There's no way I could change his mind. So for years, I lived my life this way choosing to live an empty life, one filled with seeking validation from people and never feeling like enough, all because I was so scared that I would be pushed to the side by God and by people. I lived so much of my life in fear and constant striving to the point where I was doing anything that I possibly could to make myself feel better. And I don't know about you, but I've pushed myself to the point of burning out many, many times. But oftentimes, I have found that I do that in the area of relationships. I chose to befriend people who were in desperate need of an emotional support friend. And I knew how to do that very well. They would either come from a really rough background where they just needed someone to support them as they were in their household that might not have been so great, or they were just so broken and hurting that even if they wanted to, they could not pour into me. There was nothing to pour out of. So I found myself in those friendships, mostly because there was security and knowing that they depended on me. And I was a very specific thing to them. I was their emotional support, so I knew they wouldn't leave me. How could they push me away if they needed me so desperately? But praise God, that is no longer something about, I believe about who I am. That is no longer how I choose to live my life. And I now can say that I have a personal relationship with God. All of that changed for the better in my life when I started to hear God's voice, when I learned how to hear God's voice. So I joined the discipleship program, decided to travel all the way out here every Monday to figure this thing out because I got to the point where I was so hurt that I finally figured out I needed the Lord. So one of the first chapel times we ever did as a class was the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. And I was like, okay, this has got to work because it worked in class, so I'm going to take it home and I'm going to try it. So I took it home and I sat there and it was all quiet and I was listening for God and I actually heard from God. And what he told me was that he delights in me. I was like, wow, that's, that's amazing. All he said was delight and I'm sitting there and I'm like, delight. Okay, God, I need, I need some help here. I'm a little bit slow, a little bit blonde. And <laughs> he knows, he knows. And he goes, 
I delight in you. Okay, okay, I can work with that. That, that concept wasn't new to me because I grew up in the church. And when you grow up in the church, you hear God loves you no matter what, however you are, God, God loves you. God loves you. Yep. There's a difference between being told God loves you and hearing what it feels like to say God looks at you and goes, I delight in you. Wow. That changed everything for me. So right away, I was like, okay, I need some scripture to back this up, especially if I'm going to talk to people about this. I need something. So I went to the Bible, and I was like, okay, where can I find something about delight? And I came across Zephaniah 3.17, which says, For the Lord, our, your God, is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all of your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. So I'm the type of person who needs to see things over and over and over to try to get it into my head. So what I did was I wrote it down on a whiteboard. And my intent was that with that was to try to get it from head knowledge to a heart knowledge. And I thought, if I saw it over and over again, that'd work, right? Eventually you plug in. Well. I needed to do a little bit of work on that. And I needed to start believing it. And it was the craziest thing. I'd be having conversations, normal everyday conversations. And suddenly the word with de delight would come up. And I don't know if it was just me not paying attention, but I started to notice it. And it would be in conversation. It would be randomly just in media around me. It, it was everywhere. And honestly, I believe that it was the Lord pursuing it, me with this word, but also to confirm that this was actually him. But we still had some work to do. Now that I knew it was actually from him, the transition still needed to happen. And for me, there were a couple of blocks that needed to get taken out of the way before that could happen. And the first step for that, at least for me, was going to Kairos. I remember the first day at Kairos. I walked into this very room where it was held absolutely clueless to what a Kairos was. Um, I don't know about you, but the most that I had been told was two things. One, it's going to be amazing. It's going to change your life. Da, da, da. Cool. Second thing, don't wear makeup. You'll probably cry. Hmm. That's very specific about what I'm about to go through. I'm a little intimidated. But I sat down there with the classmates that we did have that went, and I remember the entire time I felt like I was trapped in my head. And not only did I feel trapped in my head, I had a buddy. <laughs> it was me and the devil. And it honestly felt like he was screaming at me. The, he was telling me lies about who I was, and he was comparing me to the people around me. I remember just looking around and seeing all of my classmates and everyone that was there and thinking, he is right. They were probably getting so much more out of this than I am. They're probably having revelations from the Lord. And here I am thinking about what they're thinking about and trying to absorb everything that was hitting me because everything felt new. The devil and I were in consensus. I was so much less than everyone in that room. 
it wasn't until day two, I did come back, that something's broken me. I remember sitting there, and this person comes up and starts talking about the power in the spiritual realm when you agree with the devil. You're making an agreement in the devil, with the devil. And that actually has an effect on your life. And I remember sitting there being like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I have a lot of work to do because I've been agreeing with the devil for so long. It is as natural as the breath that I take. If I look around, I agree with the lie that first comes into my head, especially in the comparison game. I did not realize that the devil got me into a vicious cycle of negativity, comparison, and the spirit of rejection. I didn't have a clue that that's actually what it was, but that's exactly what it was. He got me destroying my identity, agreeing with every, he built his own negative identity of me, and I was agreeing with everything that he was saying to me. And by the end of this person talking, she, she goes up and we're doing a prayer of breaking agreement, and I'm speaking along with it, and I remember telling God, I don't want to keep doing this anymore. No matter how hard it will be to stop the cycle of agreeing with the devil, it's worth it because I can't keep living like this. I don't want to keep continuing to fight the battle of who I am and what my worth is. I don't want to keep a tug of war going on. So from then on, if there are thoughts that come into my head that are condemning and cruel, I know that I need to not agree with it. I need to start rebuking it. And even if in the moment I do not have the strength to rebuke it, there is power in simply silently resisting it. And when that started to happen, when I started to do that, it wasn't easy. But when I started doing it, things started to change for me. If the devil told me I wasn't worth listening to, I can now say that is a lie because I was uniquely created by God. So my perspective is worth hearing. If he told me that I am ugly and I should be ashamed, mm -mm, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Rebuking the devil and taking up my authority in Christ crushed the head of the lie that said I was not worth noticing. No longer was it about if I was worth noticing, if people thought I was worth noticing, God said I'm worth noticing. I stopped feeding into the false identity the devil tried to convince me of for years. And because I did that, I could finally accept and fully agree with who God said that I was. It finally made the transition because there was room. That paved the way for me to be a much healthier person all the way around but especially in friendships. As I became secure in my identity in God, I no longer felt like I had to prove to people why I should be in their lives. I finally actually wanted healthy friendships. And as I started to pray about it, I had peace that God was going to bring it, and I didn't have to work to get it. it. It changed everything. I was no longer having to strive and push and pull people into my life. God was the one bringing it all in. I have become a much better friend because I'm not trying to prove myself or earn love from anyone. 
I am no longer coming into friendships with the perspective rooted in desperation or insecurity. And one of the things that we learned in discipleship that was hard for me but so worth it was learning how to set boundaries. Because once I started to do that, now I'm able to give my very best to the right people because I'm setting limits. Now I can give the best to any, any person that I need to because I'm not just overflowing out of the hole that was created. When I am rooted correctly, I am a healthy and grounded person. Having the breakthrough of finding where my identity belongs and placing that there changed me for the better. I'm a changed person today because I now draw my worth from where it rightfully belongs, in Christ alone. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every single person in this room. God, you see the individual battles that are going on in the hearts and minds of every person here. They are seen and they are not fighting alone. God, I ask right now that you would give the, them the clarity to see and to believe that they are fought for, they are desired, and that they are held close by their creator and father God. God, I ask that today would be the starting point where they take hold of the promise that you have given them, that they will take hold and step one step nearer to who you are and who you want to be in their lives. God, that it was never about how worthy they were or what they've done. It is simply a free gift and that all they have to do is receive, open their arms, look up at their father and say, yes, Lord, I want that. I thank you for how you are going to step into every person's life here, starting tonight. In your holy name, amen. And now I get the privilege of welcoming Brittany to this stage. Come on up, Brittany. Okay, I think I'm gonna. Wow, thank you, Kimmy, for those photos. Wow, special. How are you, <laughs> How are you guys doing? Good. My, my hands are a little sweaty, like sticky from the humidity, but I'm doing good. Um, all right, I'm gonna pray before we, before we get started here. So Jesus, Lord, I just thank you for the testimony that Paige and Corey shared already tonight. And Lord, I thank you for the testimony that you put on my own heart to share, Lord. And I just pray um, right now that your spirit would go forth in this room, that Lord, it is a joy to testify to your goodness in our lives. And so we just thank you for it and we praise you and we welcome you in this place and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Cool. All right. Commitment. <laughs> Commitment. Does that make anybody else uncomfortable? <laughs> Nine months ago, I dropped out of college. I left my three jobs and committed to a full-time job, living at home with my family and the discipleship program per prompting of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pause. That was a huge decision. <laughs> 
after a few months into this transition of commitment, I had many people, family members, friends, I had old coworkers and old classmates ask me how I was doing, but rather they'd say, hey Britt, what's new? <laughs> like so many times this happened, and at one response I said, nothing. Nothing is new. I'm doing nothing super extravagant. I'm not going anywhere different. I'm doing the same thing every day, every week, every month. How boring. <laughs> Meanwhile, in my head, I'm thinking other people are out there doing crazy things. My friend just moved across the country because the Lord asked her to, and I'm not even seeing a change in my own circumstances, my family and my job. And because I wasn't seeing any difference right away, I was so quick to desire the going. Like, Lord, send me, send me. I'm ready. <laughs> and I remember going home that day and asking the Lord, Lord, this is not the end, right? Like, this is not going to be what I'm doing forever, right? <laughs> and he responded, what if, Brittany? What if this is your job for the next 20 years? What if you live with your parents for the next 10 years? Given I don't think my parents would really agree with the Lord if that was the case. But his point being, what if? What if? The Holy Spirit had pointed me to a verse in Ruth. A lot of you know it. Ruth 1.16. Now, earlier in this chapter, it states more of the context of the story, where Naomi and her husband um, and, and two sons moved to Moab, where her sons married two Moabite women, one being Ruth. Naomi's husband died, and after about 10 years, her sons had died as well. So it was Naomi left with her two daughter-in-laws. And in verse 8, Naomi states to her daughter-in-laws, Go back, each of you, and says to your mother's home, May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And the girls responded and said they would go with her. Right, that's kind of being like the, the Christian thing to say. Like when somebody offers you money and you're like, no, no, no. No, I'm not going to take your money. <laughs> so that's kind of like the, the girls said they would go with her. But Naomi at this point is begging them at this point to go because she has nothing to offer them. And Orpah, it says, the other daughter-in-law kisses her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth says to her, I will go where you go and I will stay where you stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. She says, I will go where you go, and I will stay where you stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Get this. Ruth's commitment to Naomi was not conditional. It was not based on her circumstance. And truthfully, it would have been easier for Ruth to find a new husband, but her decision was not based on her conditions. It was based on her commitment. And after reading that, you're like, whew, all right, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord asked me again, what if? He knew the job wasn't perfect, and he definitely knew my family wasn't perfect, but he said, what if, Brittany, I'm asking you to stay? I know, I know you're willing to go where I want you to go, but will you also stay where I want you to stay? See, when you look up the definition of commitment on Google, this is what comes up. There's two definitions. The first being the state or quality of being dedicated to a cause or activity. Woohoo! And then the second being an engagement or obligation that restricts freedom of action. 
See, I had always viewed commitment as the second one. I had this underlying belief that commitment equals complacency. And I do not like to settle. I do not want to be comfortable. My friends know this about me. I do not want to be restricted. I want freedom. And I was so eager to go. And I felt pressure from society and culture to go. I have felt this underlying pressure that if I didn't go, not only in continuing school and moving up in the ladder and getting my degree, but then also moving out, and above all that, there was this pressure from Christian communities to be big and go all over the world. And I briefly believed that if I wasn't doing that, then I'm not a passionate Christian. But the truth is, I was committed to Christ, and he asked me to stay. The Lord asked me to commit, and through these, na- and through these past nine months, I've learned to value commitment. What I've learned is this. The Lord told me that when I commit, I will begin to set a new culture in my household. I will have a new community of friendships by my commitment. There will be discipleship by my commitment. Security and trust will be built by my commitment. And depth is only available by my commitment. And through my commitment, God will shape and change me. The most difficult part of my job when I worked three jobs last year, was waking up early. In fact, I had a coworker that just got hired on, and in two weeks, she had three no-call, no-shows. Commitment is not looked up to as an admirable quality in the communities that are around me. And some of you might say, Britt, like, I wake up at 5 a.m. every morning, 4 a.m. every morning, like, I do construction, and I don't know what you do, but I want to say bless you, bless all of you that wake up in the morning because that was hard for me to do, (laughs) and I respect that. But here's the thing. If that bothered me so much, society would have told me to leave. They would have told me to go, to find a better job if I didn't like it. I've come to even greater terms that nobody is going to have the perfect job with no issues and no problems. It's just not realistic. My commitment needed to not be based on condition. And my staying needed to not be based on condition. Now, I don't say this by any means to diminish the going. He might ask you to go. Don't mistake the comfortability of staying for commitment. It's not an excuse to not be obedient. But I say this testimony, this revelation, to challenge you in that maybe God is asking you to commit, to stay in a job, a community, or commit to something else, like a school or serving. I actually want to empower you a minute. In whatever workplace you're in, whatever school you go to, wherever you live, and if you are called to stay, you can be a passionate Christian. It might not look the coolest to the world to stay sometimes, but but when you are a willing servant of the Lord, you're signing up to be obedient wherever he's called you. See, I realize that commitment is actually one of the biggest and boldest things that you can do. Our culture, our communities, and society tells us it's okay. You can back out of it. There's actually a show called Now Married at First Sight. Crazy. Commitment, when you commit, it's actually being countercultural. For these past nine months, I have been asked to stay. I was sent by the Lord to commit. And it's one of the most challenging yet rewarding things I have ever done. So I have a couple questions for you. One being... Is God asking you to stay? Or is he asking you to go? And don't be so quick to answer that question. 
And the other being, are you committed to God? Or is it a conditional commitment based on circumstance? So I actually was praying earlier, and I really feel the need to do um, an altar call. So I'm just going to pray to close. And if everyone wants to close your eyes and bow your heads, um, I'm just going to pray. Jesus, I just thank you that you are present in this room right now. Lord, I thank you that you commit to do life with us. And right now, if there's anybody in this room, with every, with every eye closed and, and every head bowed, if there's anybody in this room who has not committed and given their life to Jesus and trusted in him, I'm just going to ask you to be bold and raise your hand right now. That if you want to commit to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you want to do life with him, or maybe you haven't, your commitment has been conditional and based on circumstances and based on the highs and the lows, and you haven't been consistent in your commitment to Jesus, that right now, if you want to do that, if you want to make this commitment to Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand right now. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the people in this room. I thank you for their hearts to be here on a Thursday night. And Lord, I just pray right now. I just pray that we would be committed people to you, Jesus. And whatever that looks like, that we would be obedient to the call on our lives. that we can commit to you right here and right now. And Lord, I am so grateful for that, Jesus. And so I just pray that your spirit goes forth and whatever you want to teach us and whatever you want, you want us to take home with us tonight, whether that's, that's Corey telling us to seek God and how God sought him, and then, and then Paige telling us about the identity and, and if we do not partner with the devil's lies. And Lord, I just pray that in all of that, that you are glorified and you are honored and we just love you so much. And so Jesus, I pray this in your mighty and holy name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.